Last time on Trials of the Apocalypse. Dick can't stop himself. You know I'd do anything for you, Duke. Not everything you did in New York was Catholic. The Italians didn't seem to mind. You saw what happened with Jack the Ripper, I mean... Jack was sloppy and he knew that and he had to hightail it out of town. The person who you all need to kill is Algernon Briarwood. Now, I've only been here a short time, but isn't he a patrician? He's been trafficking some cattle, so to speak. A lot of people come and go from that estate that he bought a decade ago over in Beverly Hills. Duke, you know a vampire fairly closely associated with Algernon? Their name is Jonathan Greenglass? Why do you think I got into the field of psychology? Manipulate the mind. The last year or so for each of these women, and it varies for each one, they just disappeared months before they were found murdered. Then maybe we could go check out their location, you know, where they were renting before they disappeared and try to see if we can find something that the police didn't. In the trash can, which is near that section of ceiling that has clearly seen some water damage. There are some like balled up papers and other things in there. Each one of these crumpled up wads that these were recruiting, these were talent recruiting agencies. The casting call with the most recent date does give you a contact's name on the sheet. And the name of that contact is Jonathan Greenglass. Hmm. Gotcha, punk. city longer. You haven't met him in person. However, you are familiar a little bit with what he has going on in LA. Greenglass, you know, is associated with Algernon, came to this city as a pariah uh, and found sanctuary, so to speak, uh, with Algernon. You're not really sure where he came from. Again, you haven't actually met him in person. You just sort of heard about him. And you know that he is a chief writer and editor for the Hollywood Inquirer, uh, a local newspaper. Uh, and he's also a radio show host of Hello Hollywood. Well, Duke, this is most intriguing. It would seem that Mr. Greenglass is getting into the talent acquisition industry. Have you uh, encountered the gentleman? As Duke. Yeah, uh, this is the name I dropped for you earlier, Duke. This is somebody who you know of and have interacted with, even. Yeah. Rings a bell. He's funneled some clients your way from time to time. I say it sounds like we need to pay him a visit. Shake his tree a bit, see what falls out. Yes, I think we should meet back up with, with Soren and see what he's found. And I think maybe I will call Joan and see uh, if... So, quick, quick info for, for David, the, the DM. Who's Joan? Have we talked about her? We haven't. Uh, she, New character? Yes, I, I, uh, she's one of Annie's uh, girls. One who fits the description of, oh, okay. the, cool. of the others. Oh, boy. You gave us creative license, so I'm taking I did. it. <laughs> I did. Perhaps she has received requests for auditions by him, but I doubt the phone here was still functioning. Oh, yeah, this. There is a phone. You could try it. Duke, will you try the, the phone and perhaps see if it's working? Who we call it? Joan, if it works, I'll give you the number. Do I get a dial tone? Yeah, you get a dial tone. You pick it up and the phone is like a little bit sticky, but you you pull apart one piece from the other and it does appear to still be working. All right, so tell the operator to connect you to Joan Pence. 
Yeah, uh, it connects. Uh, you get Joan on the phone. Uh, what do you have to say to her? Yeah, why is why yeah why is Duke the one calling? Isn't it? Yeah, then just Next. just hold the phone up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to touch it. Yes, James. <laughs> uh, Joan, darling, um, would you please tell me if you've been looking at other talent agencies? So. Oh man, I, I would. On the one hand, I would love to have this conversation. On the other hand, I'm seeing our pacing and knowing that we should just do this uh, at a higher level, even though it would be fun. Uh, so you call Joan, uh, one of your girls who who matches the description, who you know has been in a similar position to some of these other women looking for that kind of work, and she says that she has seen some similar posters before, even with uh, green glass on them, but she hasn't ever responded to one of them before. Does she know of of an upcoming audition with Mr. Greenglass? Uh, yeah. So there is one for the sake of marching our story along. There's one the next day. Yeah, <laughs> there's one tomorrow. Now, I guess technically you're already in tomorrow because it's early, early morning. But uh, so Annie will warn Joan not to not to respond to any of Mr. Greenglass's uh, postings that she's familiar with him and he's not a desirable male to, to come in contact with. She, she won't. This for your health, darling. <laughs> so she, she, she won't, uh, and she will noticeably not give Joan a hard time about having looked, you know, with other talent agents, in fact, encourage her, but to do it safely mm-hmm. to be careful. And definitely stay away from this guy. <laughs> so the two of you find the connection to Green Glass here at the the former homestead of another girl who has gone missing. Still, the the casting in question happened, you know, six months ago. Yeah. Um. When when she disappeared, uh, and that that trail is likely cold. You do have this new lead to chase up on tomorrow. Is there anything else uh, that you or, or your group does this evening before moving into the next day? Well, I've one thing that I've been thinking about is because Annie doesn't have a hunting ground mm-hmm. while this is is going on. Mm-hmm. There's the thought of approaching. Uh, Mr. Either Mr. Greenglass now or Algernon himself to inquire about some cattle in order to feed upon. But I don't know if that's something that we want to jump to tomorrow night or if we want to go to the audition and see what's going on. So basically, yes. I figure I figure we'll want to meet up all three of us and brainstorm about what to do next was my thought. I mean I think I think that happens uh several hours later Soren is done doing the investigation he had at the LAPD uh the two of you have completed your investigation at this apartment complex and the three of you meet back up probably just outside the shade and shine establishment uh, it's sort of a, a common a common ground it's not currently operational uh and I think Annie seeing the lights dark puts a dampen on your spirits but the three of you do get together to decide your next course of action uh and we'll we'll sort of do that above the table we don't need to do this in character necessarily i think uh in order in answering your question uh amy about when we should do what i think that what annie's background like being cut off right now Uh, gives her is I think that gives each one of you now a good excuse to approach Algernon uh, or or try to infiltrate and a good reason to be there as potential buyers or clients for what he's selling. I think that makes even you who has been a local now somebody who has good reason to be interested. So I think that's what that gives you. And because of that, I think probably it's best for you to gather as much information as possible going into that before you attempt that. And that will be a medal as you guys are trying to press that operation. That's why it's 
probably smart for us to get with green glass first is to get more information. The question is, how many days do we want to go with Annie not having access to feeding grounds? That's that's now that said, though, she's she's monstrous, right? So you've got some blood, <laughs> you've got some blood to spare for the time being. But I mean, a couple of days, sure. But I mean, if we're going to be doing contested you know, battles and medals against another vampire, particularly one who is at probably the, monstrous. Who is probably monstrous if not lost. We need to be careful that she, you know she has lose too much blood. Well, if we talk to Glass, uh, uh, Glass, I got I have the composer Philip Glass in my head. This is Jonathan Greenglass. Jonathan Greenglass, if we approach him tomorrow and approach Alderaan the same day, which I don't know why we wouldn't be able to, then that's only one day that you go without feeding. And I think yeah. that's probably the best case scenario. We'll say the the timing on that is uh, the casting call is just after sundown tomorrow. Let's say it's wintertime, so probably like around five. Which would give you plenty of time that evening to do some other things. You think that's good, Duke? Should be fine. Duke has no problem with uh, letting her temporarily use his feeding grounds. No, 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 no. She was explicitly told that she has no safe hunting grounds in Los Angeles. Or who's the highest level? Princep. Our Princep will take exception with her. Yeah. Uh, Duke, if you... If you were to allow her to feed in your feeding grounds, uh, that would be going directly against Walter's wishes. All right. That said, though, I'm only in L.A. at Annie's request. So if I had to leave to go back to New York because I pissed off Walter, I don't necessarily know that my character would care as scary as Walter is. So in an emergency situation, my grounds could be available because I'm literally only here at Annie's request anyway. I can hightail it back to New York anytime I want and still be kosher in New York. So Yeah, but we're trying to get you a debt from Walter so that you well, can as long get... as I have a debt from two patricians, if we can get your Bacchanal off the ground and Maholland, if we clear him, will owe me. Um, I have two patricians that now owe me and boom, I'm automatically a patrician. Although it's worth noting that if you if you do that and at the same time incur the wrath of your princep, that won't be great. That's true. Eventually, this night, which has already dragged on forever, comes to an end. You all go to wherever you go to pass the day. You rest. And come nightfall the next day, you each wake up again and join together to head to check out Jonathan Greenglass's casting call doesn't this also result in another spent blood it does i was about to say i need you all to spend one blood to wake for the next day it's safe to assume though that since duke and i still have our feeding grounds that we're probably replenished and are only spending one blood no unless you feed we are a nightly play unless you say you go feed and then we resolve that um you are not feeding it's not oh gosh you have to actively Actively. Oh, oh, see, I thought we were just for narrative reasons because this is one shot avoiding that. I'm humane. I cannot afford to not feed every night, especially if I know I'm going into an active battle. So then I think I think Soren, you might have a early in the evening. You have an appointment. Um, you wake a little bit before sun is fully down. Are you saying I'm pulling a doctor lecture and having an old friend for dinner? Well, hopefully, hopefully it won't go that poorly. It shouldn't. I'm humane. I'm, I'm very much in control. I think I think thanks to uh, I think thanks to Annie helping you get set up and thanks to your maker, Giselle, helping you get get set up in L.A. Uh, I think your feeding grounds are fairly abundant. And although there is lots of suspicion in the city right now, I think that someone in your role and position, especially for a client who does not match the description of any of these women who have who have died you are not inherently suspicious to them so i don't think that the awareness of your prey is fairly high but 
let's actually go through this. Let's let's say we have an opportunity to explore this mechanic if you need to feed uh, in between. So when you hunt, uh, when you stalk prey, you track down and corner a victim. The GM describes them and how they try to escape you. You may choose a number of options up to your status. Only the options chosen are true. If you hunt on your own hunting grounds, you may choose an additional option, which you are doing so. Uh, you may also choose one additional option for every one blood you spend on this move. So already, as far as the number of options you get, your status, since you are a plebeian, that is only one. But this is your hunting ground, so that is two options you automatically get without spending any extra blood. And so your options that you have to choose from, and these options are only true if you do choose them. You stalk your victim quickly. You don't, uh, they don't evade your clutches for long. You stifle your victim's screams to avoid spooking the prey. Uh, they aren't roused to action. You gently subdue your victim. They don't struggle against you. Uh, and you deftly evade the prying eyes of your fellow predators. They don't confront or interfere with you. So I don't I know think, how the predators would interfere. We're in a psychology. Yeah, I, I think you just get that one, uh, given the circumstances. However, otherwise you only get two of these. I'm going to go with quickly and the slip under their guard. I am their psychologist after all. So yeah, you don't spook them. So you, you don't subdue them gently. They do struggle against you. So I think, I think Soren, you have them telling you about themselves. You, you, you get them caught in the middle of a story. I'm imagining you have like the classic psychologist couch couch. Is that a settee? Is that what that is? No, um, I always call it a faint. I always call it a fainting couch. I think a settee is not that far off the mark, though. I was unaware that thing had an actual name. I only know it because of uh, do I want to know by the I was about to say Arctic monkeys is why I know. Fill and drinks on my settee, baby. Anyway, you have the classic psychologist couch. Someone is reclined upon it. You saw and ask them to close their eyes while they bring themselves back to this memory that they're sharing with you. And while their eyes are closed, you close in on them. And you sink your teeth into them and they are shocked, they are surprised, though unsuspecting. And with your bite, they do struggle against you. You feel their hands claw through your hair uh, at your face, trying to pull your head off of them. But as you've sunk your teeth into them, they are unable to free themselves. You are now feeding, uh, which is a whole other basic move. And feeding goes like this. Uh, when you sink your fangs in, that's what you've already done, and feed from your prey, you take blood from them. Uh, you are intuitively aware of the physiological impact to your victim of each drop you take. So taking one or two blood leaves them tipsy. Taking three blood leaves them ill. Taking four blood leaves them in desperate need of medical attention. And taking five kills them. Uh, you get to choose a number of the following options up to your humanity plus one. You being humane, you have a humanity of three, so plus one is four. So you gain all four of these options. You stop feeding when you want to. You resist the temptation to terrorize your prey, so you do not hurt them for sport or pleasure. You do not, or you rather are capable of manipulating your prey's memory so they don't remember you in their nightmares. And you close the wounds that you leave on your prey's body, concealing the telltale sign of your predation. So you get all those things. After a moment, they do go still after struggling against you initially. And you are able to wipe this experience away and, and not have them coming into you about bad dreams they've had about being attacked by, by somebody biting their neck. How much blood do you take? I only need two to get back to max to be able to only spend one the next day to wake up which will only put me to one deficit going into an active battle so i think that uh this feeding this this hunting and feeding is happening right after waking on the second day uh because it was like well into the early hours of the morning already so i need and, three yeah you so need three to be at max if you if you want to be at max that would send them away ill yep yeah, but then I could write it off to them as you shared some fairly traumatic things with me, so you naturally have a headache and are exhausted from confronting. I could make something with bullshit. Let's take three. Yeah. 
You take three blood from them, uh, and then you close up the wound behind. You manipulate their memories so they don't remember what was going on. And they are shaky on their feet, and they look... They look very pale when they get up to leave after this. Gosh, you're not looking too too hot there, but that's uh, understandable considering the amount of trauma uh, that you just shared with me that that had been going on in your life. You you may have a headache and you may feel out of sorts. You'll be able to sleep it off. You'll be fine. But it's a very traumatic experience, Mr. Eastwood. But I'm sure you'll do fine in your upcoming cowboy movie. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm sorry. Did you just prey on Clint Eastwood? <laughs> Did you just do that in my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch! <laughs> it's a string that. <laughs> uh and and one thing too, Mister Eastwood. You at the beginning of the session, I don't know if you remember because after the traumatic experience, your head's a little loopy. But you were talking about potential things to kind of ad lib on set. I think to keep it a little more family friendly, perhaps instead it should be something the line the lines of "Go ahead, punk, make my day." Slipping in the expletives is probably not the best idea. Maybe that's just my legion of decency talking. And Clint Eastwood blearily nods and leaves your establishment. Now, just come 30 Harry's from the 60s at the earliest. Oh, yeah. No, no. Anachronistically, the movie is not around this time period, but I'm <laughs> planting the seed, baby. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, man. Okay. There was a part of me that's like, should I do a Clint Eastwood impression? And then I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Phil. Uh, it was either that or Christopher Lee, and I couldn't bring myself to feed on Christopher Lee, but I'll feed on Clint Eastwood. Hilarious. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So you fed on Clint Eastwood to get your blood back in you. Oh, man, your blood is pumping, baby. (laughs) Uh, You got that good, good shit. So, yeah, you congratulations. We got to we got to have a feeding session. Uh, Although, honestly, I I believe Duke would also have a nice little feed sesh. Remember that guy from earlier in the session? Oh, Dick, not Frank. I feel like uh, in the interim, Dick made a bet he shouldn't have made, which is not surprising for Dick, not Frank. Oof. And I feel like he comes to visit me in my office before I shut shit down. Uh, hey there, there, Duke. Uh, Dick, it's always good to see you. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's always the best. Uh, Duke, I got, I got a little bit of a problem. Problem? What kind of problem, Dick? Well, you know how you, you gave me that, uh, that bit of money... To, to take home? Or a good friend like you, of course. Well, I... I spent it. Well, that's what the money's for, Dick. <laughs> a man's gotta eat. Gotta put gas in the car. You know how it is. Maybe get something nice for the missus. Well, you know, I thought about that. I thought about that for a good long minute there, but uh, the, the issue... The issue was, as on my way back, I uh, I went through the convenience store, right? Uh, they had those back in the 1940s. <laughs> and that there, there was uh, a new play on the lottery tickets. And I thought, you know, just one. And I would, uh, you know, bring that home and maybe bring home a little bit extra for the missus. You know how it is. And I I bought the first one and... I, I came... I was one number away, Duke. I was one number away. I couldn't just let it end there. I couldn't do it. And so I pulled the next one and well I need I need a win, Duke. I need a win or I can't I can't keep the house. Duke taps his pin on the desk a couple times. Arises from his desk and closes the door to his office. Dick. How many times do we have to do this song and dance? I try to help you. I really do. Well, I, I was just thinking that it, you know, that, that money that I, I kept to run on Johnny. 
Well, if you know a, a better bet, maybe I can maybe I can make double, triple what I had before. Cold hands slide onto Dick's shoulders. Dick, I give you only the best bets, and this is how you repay me. We're going to have to come to some sort of other arrangement. And let the feeding begin. Our excellent. I think we're sort of hand waving this hunt. We can, uh, or at least we can we can knock off some of these options regardless. So normally so you're on your hunting grounds. You have a status of one. So you get two of the options automatically. Uh, those are you stalk your victim quickly. You stifle your victim's screams to avoid spooking the prey. You gently subdue your victim. You deftly evade the prying eyes of your fellow predators. I think this is another circumstance where there's not really any good reason for there to be prying eyes of fellow predators. Okay. So without spending any blood, you may choose two of those three options. You can choose all three if you spend the blood. Well, I believe I'm going to choose. Let's see. What were the other three? It was a so, uh, stalk your victim quickly. They don't evade your clutches for long. I think you've sort of implied that you're yeah, making that. Yeah, that's implied. And then you stifle your victim screams to avoid spooking the prey. Uh, and you gently subdue your victim. They do not struggle against you. Perfect. We do the first two. Yeah, I thought Look, so. Cookies <laughs> uh, who are who have been uh, put on the spot like that aren't known for their gentility, but we do yeah. avoid spooking other prey, and we make sure it's quick. Yeah, he he stifles a scream, or or rather, you stifle the scream with the grip of your jaws around his neck. He grabs at you. I think he even maybe throws an elbow here or there as you sink your teeth into him. You feel the life drain out of him and into you as you begin to feed. When you feed, uh, your humanity is a two. Is that correct? You correct. are callous. callous. So with your humanity plus one, you get to choose three of the following four options. This will be easier to choose the one I'm not I'm not choosing. Yeah, this man will have nightmares. Oh, God, he's already going to lose the house, potentially. I feel no, so no. bad for Dick. Oh, no. He's going he's gonna to remember that we came to an agreement, an arrangement. But that it was not, he, he'll know that it was not pleasant as I'm a businessman. But I'm not a monster. All right, so you do stop reading when you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, you resist the temptation to further terrorize your prey mm -hmm. uh, and hurt them for sport or pleasure. And you close the wounds you left, concealing the telltale signs of your of your feeding. Uh, however, you do not manipulate their memories so they do not remember you in their nightmares. I imagine that implies that you do, you know, they, they won't necessarily remember the specifics of this encounter until their nightmares. Yes. But they, he, he will suffer from nightmares from this. It works well for a bookie. The people who will get into trouble with bookies need to be afraid of the bookie. I don't have to break legs. Honestly, I'm doing them all a favor. Shit, are you sure you're not slipping into monstrous? <laughs> uh, you guys will, once we leave nightly play, have an opportunity to rate your fellow predators on their humanity. And how dare you, sir? That's This is purely callous. I'm not monstrous yet, but this is definitely callous disregard. No, this is 100% callous. I'm there yeah. with you. No, no, no. See... The, he is being callous. I know because as you two are describing your feeding, I'm thinking of what Annie's feeding would be. And I'm so sad that I don't have an opportunity to describe it because then you can understand <laughs> what a truly monstrous feed truly looks like. Just saying. And so I take two because during that night I only have, uh, I have 10. So two's all I need. He doesn't even feel ill. He just feels uneasy, but he's got to have that fix. Okay. So you regain that two blood. He goes on his way, having enough money to make rent or mortgage, I should say. Presuming he doesn't, you know, squander it in the way. Huh? Well, no guarantees, but I think he has had the fear of something struck in him. It may not be the fear <laughs> of God, but. I swear to God, swear by me. <laughs> <laughs> That is, is it sad that that's literally my favorite line 
in any Batman movie that's spoken by Batman is when uh, he's got the guy and he's like, I swear to God, swear to me. (laughs) He drops him (laughs) off the room. So yeah, you regain your blood. However, you do, that does happen uh, the first night. So in waking the next evening, you are at 11 blood now. Okay, excellent. So the evening has begun. The three of you had to investigate Jonathan Greenglass, a known associate of Algernon who you suspect could be related to the disappearances of these women. Your journey takes you up into Hollywood, uh, not to any studio in particular, but rather to a rather normal-looking, practically an office building. Uh, Upon entering, you go through a reception where they direct you to speak with... Well, actually, here's a question. What is your angle in coming to this event? How are you ingratiating yourselves like do you are you coming as a third party seeking jonathan directly what's your play we represent a talent agency who has a number of girls who may be interested in in these parts and so we've come to inquire on their behalf ah so you're you're brokering a deal with jonathan or at least that's the story yeah uh that's good i like that so the three of you present that story at the desk. The woman behind the desk, she nods and she sets up a meeting for you uh, with Jonathan in between some of the casting calls. And you are probably half an hour later, later uh, led to a meeting room adjoining the room that you, you enter into initially. Uh, in it, there is a lovely oak conference table. On one end of it is your your mark i guess uh jonathan greenglass and then the three of you have a seat opposite him uh, at some of the chairs that have been arranged there upon seeing jonathan i think both annie and you soren his features seem oddly familiar to you neither of you have have like well specifically annie you've been in the city for some time you know that Uh, Some time ago, uh, he came to the city as a pariah and was taken in by Algernon. But like, that's all that you really knew about him. Uh, You you never met him since he came to the city. You've only heard him by this name. But he, something about the way he looks, the way he carries himself uh, is a bit familiar to the two of you. Hmm. And he's sitting there across the table from you. He looks up from a... He, he has a clipboard with a variety of papers stacked on it that he had been flipping through as he waited for you all to arrive for this meeting. Uh, and he looks up and sees you and says, So, what can I help you with? Well, I figure we can start with, uh, you know, learning more about this role that you're recruiting for. Oh, we're just doing some rather blanket type of recruiting at our organization currently. We have many clients who we aim to fulfill their casting needs. What sort of casting needs do they have? Oh, women, men of varying sizes, descriptions, of varying acting capabilities. I'm familiar with your organization. He smiles at you and adjust some glasses that are sitting on the bridge of his nose. Uh, He's in a fine tweed suit. He sits back further in his chair to get a better look at the three of you. But I'm not too familiar with your associates. Except, uh, is that Duke I see? Oh, quick. I I know, I know Mr. Greenglass, right? Like, peripherally. Uh, Peripherally. Uh, You two have met. He has funneled some clients your way in the past. I imagine he's probably taking part in a bet or two here and there himself. Yeah. But he's not a frequent... Mr. Greenglass, pleasure to see you. Oh, always a pleasure, Duke. Of course, seeing the three of you, uh, and his eyes pass over Soren, still raising an eyebrow, it does have me wondering, especially seeing Duke, you, and it's Annie, is it? For the moment. Here together. Well, yes, uh, I've asked Duke to do some recruiting for me, and I figured that... It would be advantageous if I were to recruit some individuals that might be of interest to you in the future. 
You are likely aware of my arrangement with uh, others in our community. He, he smiles a big, wide smile that seems immediately disingenuous, uh, and he sits forward further at the table. I think I'm familiar with your arrangements with uh, Mulholland Funar and some of his clientele as well. However, now that I think about it a little bit longer, I don't really understand how your agency could be recruiting right now, given the state of things. Didn't Walter recently, by his own decree, shut your operation down until a certain matter is resolved in this city? Yes, yes, and we are we are investigating certain leads on that, but... Are you now? Yes. And no, but being perfectly frank, Mr. Greenglass, uh, there are two things that I'm immediately concerned with, and I don't believe we've properly met Dr. Soren Klimek. Um, Charmed. No, you won't be. I've got two questions. <laughs> One, why we're really here is because as we're investigating that, your name keeps popping up all over the damn place. And secondly, you look very familiar, and that doesn't make sense because I'm fairly new in town. Have we met before? He sits back a little bit more nervously in his chair. I don't believe so. Oh, I forget names been around a while. I never forget a face. Soren, you and Annie rack your brains and maybe even peer a little closer at him. And this isn't a face you've seen recently. Otherwise, you probably would have recognized him instantly. But I don't know, within within the last, you know, 50 to 80 years or so. Maybe. Within the last century, you've definitely seen him before. Is there a vampiric ability or something that we can use to pull our old memories, like to sort through our own mind? So I was looking through it. Uh, I think what would make the most sense here is you might apply pressure on him, which could be considered uh, a metal where essentially you would you, you have something you want. You want to figure out who this guy is, what your relationship to them is. And you could meddle in order to achieve that. You could basically force force him into a corner. Yeah, I'm down for that. Because I think if we get to the bottom of how he looks familiar to us, we may get to the bottom of these murders and the motive behind them. Hello, it's your GM, David here. Thanks for giving our third episode of Undying a listen. I hope you're enjoying our story unfold. In two weeks, you'll have the finale in your hands, so you'll know where our merry band of vampires end up on the other side of this, and what else might be in their future. Following the finale, we'll begin releasing episodes for our next game, where we play Ghost Lines, a grim fantasy ghost-busting tale set on the rails of the Shattered Isles. I hope you'll join us for that arc as well. To stay on top of any updates, check out the links in the description to follow us on Facebook or Twitter at TOTA Podcast. That's T-O-T-A Podcast. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please recommend us to a friend who might like it too. Or leave us a nice comment in your podcatcher. Shout out to KY Nerd for legitimately making me tear up reading your comment on Apple Podcasts. Feedback like yours gives us the motivation to continue putting in the hours to make this show, and it helps give others a good reason to check us out. So, thanks. And thank you again for listening. I'll see you in the Undying Finale on March 10th. Bye. He he pulls a little bit at the side of his collar. I don't know why you would recognize me. I don't believe I've interacted with either of you two here in Los Angeles. Oh, it's not Los Angeles that I believe I recognize you from. I haven't been in the city very long myself, but I have a very long and storied life and have come across several people. And for some reason, your face stands out to me. And if your face stands out to me, that must have meant something important at some point. So the two of you are trying to meddle with Jonathan Greenglass. So mechanically, how meddling works is... All predators entering a metal ante up by spending one blood. 
uh, and spending means you you actually consume that blood. That blood is now gone. And you take an action that you spent that blood to do that applies pressure in an open-ended way. Um, so the two of you are working from the same side of things here. H- however, only one of you, like, basically your blood is considered pooled for the sake of this metal. So if either of you has a good idea of how you would like to somehow employ your vampiric abilities or just in, in any way apply pressure on this guy, let me know. You know, it's best to resolve things in house. You haven't just popped up in the flyers that we've found. I've looked through the records of all the victims. The humans are on to you. And Walter would very much like for things to resolve in-house. And I'm going to Annie a blood. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah. Raise. So, I'm going to so, raise at this point. I've already Annie to get involved. I'm going to raise. Well, you, you Annie to initiate the metal. So you spend you spend one blood to initiate the metal. And that that I think is what you just did. So then now his option is either to fold, just accepting the consequences as established. He can call matching your one blood. Uh, and basically if you then accept the call instead of raising yourself, then it's a mixed success for both of you. Um, or he can call and raise then reversing, like adding an extra blood one or more to then apply more pressure to you and like not reverse the metal, but to, to push back, Mm -hmm. um, and make, make you have to try harder in order to, to get things out of him. Um, but in the case of this metal, uh, actually, Amy, you look like you have something to say. Yeah, uh, I was wondering if Annie could aid in the metal. Absolutely. Uh, so she would get close, sitting on the on the table, crossing her legs right next to him, and slide her very sharp nail across his cheek. Not not breaking the the skin, but just getting into a space. You know, perhaps it was it was England, I think Europe, perhaps that uh, we encountered you. This is this is very good, actually. You say that and I'll have you spend one blood um, as you you add to that pile. Uh, And he's just going to fold. So you two have spent that blood. (laughs) He is not spending any blood Uh, because you especially, Annie, you struck a nerve. At your mention of England, he goes a little bit uh, white in the face. Uh, oh, how uh, how unfortunate uh, that you would remember England. Uh, well, uh, posturing aside, please take take back your seat. I I'll, I'll do what I can to help you. I I finally found a new life here in L.A. and I don't need my old life coming back for me. And now that you have the anchor to associate with it, you know that this is something to do with England. You finally figured out he's like he's wearing. I don't, you don't know whether or not he's grown this mustache or it's a fake one, but he's, he's wearing that. He's wearing glasses now, which is a new thing on his face. And he he's generally like more put together than he ever was back when you knew him in England. Now he's going by Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Greenglass. Before uh, that, Jonathan was shortened to Jack. Uh, you're looking at Jack the Ripper. <laughs> he left England as a pariah. Oh my god! Uh, and fled to the Americas. Jack, we were just talking about you. Jack, you dirty old bastard! I can't believe you made it out of England in one piece. Well, I've been known to survive all sorts of situations. So, Jonathan, uh, we're not interested in dredging up the past unnecessarily. Our interest is in understanding and learning what happened to the women who used to work at my establishment who came to your auditions and then disappeared. I like to imagine that even though he invited you back to your seat, that Annie is still sitting up there on his side of the table. (laughs) Oh no, she's still sitting on his side of the table. She just withdrew her fingernail. Yeah, he he smiles and says, oh, those women. Yes, yes, yes. The the ones who've disappeared. Uh, 
You are perhaps referring to the ones associated with these uh, Black Dahlia murders, are you? Uh, and he he continues to seem a bit nervous. If I speak any more on this matter with the three of you, I know you, he, he looks to you, Duke. I know you, Duke, you're practically practically Walter's right-hand man in this city. If I share this information with you, can, can you guarantee my safety? It took me so long to carve out a new place to be, and I don't want to go back to being a pariah again. From Walter, you want me? Guarantee your safety for Walter. I would like Walter's protection. I'll tell you what. So long as you're giving us something that helps Walter out, I don't see why he wouldn't. It does very much depend, Johnny boy, on the information that you're about to tell us. Do keep in mind, this is not Victorian England. There is not a vampire synthesizer on the throne here. You have Walter to contend with. I have not had... I am not responsible for these killings. Yeah? I learned from my past indiscretions. Well, then anything that you tell us will reflect positively upon you when we speak of this matter with Walter and whether or not we bring up your past that we have, that we recall also depends on how cooperative you are in the rest of this conversation. And he sits back in his chair a bit defeated, like the wind's been knocked out of him. And he, and he says, I have been helping to arrange for and procure prey for Patrician Algernon's operation. He, he has begun a business venture that has been quite successful so far, at least as far as I can tell. And he has been, well, carting prey. And I don't believe Walter is aware of this fact. I hesitate to think about what would happen if he became aware of my complicity in it. Well, that does seem like something he would not like. He got anything to, uh, Take the edge off of that? Any information other than this exists? Because this exists isn't exactly a strong ship to stay on. What? What if I could help you get the drop on Algernon? That sounds like it might just get you into some pretty good graces. And perhaps if you could explain to us why he is choosing these women in particular? Yeah, but he's got beef with Mulholland. Have they... That have fallen out or something. Or is it Giselle that he has a problem with or me? He shrugs his shoulders. I've been delivering far more than just those women to him. There have been dozens. But then why is it that these ones are the ones that are being dropped for the spectacle that has been taking place? Because I don't know if you noticed, but these are all roughly the same make and model as as uh, Mulholland's preferred flavors. He shrugs once again. I, I told you, I have nothing to do with these murders. All, all I know is that I, that these women are included in those that I have otherwise delivered to Algernon. And where are the ones that are still alive? Well, some have been sold. Some are gone, long gone. Uh, but any others that remain currently, well... Ha. And he, he smiles again. Well, uh, you could find them at Algernon's estate tonight. Well, looks like we're attending, I'm presuming, an auction. Well, the auction's at the end of the night. First comes the party. And you will be giving us invites to this party, will you not? I will lead you there myself. So yeah, you, you all dress up uh, in your 
1940s finery. You are directed to a party uh, in Beverly Hills at the state of one Algernon Briarwood. And upon arriving, you can see that this street has several cars parked along the side of it because there's just not enough parking at, you know, at this house alone. Uh, It's a very mid-century modern aesthetic. We're in like the prime time for that, right? This is when these houses are being built. It has a, a neat flat roof with a overhang over a rather large se- like section of carport. It can fit four or five cars, but all of those are filled and there are more cars, of course, spilling out into the street of this neighborhood. The house has a nice L shape uh, and you hear sounds beyond what you can currently see that seems to be the sounds of a pool, perhaps, uh, and guests enjoying themselves outside. The exact location of this of of this rather nice abode is on the side, not so much of a cliff, but of a of a very steep hill, uh, and it has a beautiful look over the city of Los Angeles. And Jonathan Greenglass uh, gets out of his car. Uh, you all get out of yours, and he walks with you up to the front door, which is underneath this carport. On either side of this front door, it's you know beautiful, beautiful fine woodwork, uh, nice neat lines, glass that you can see inwards, but the glass is frosted, so you can't you can't actually see what's going on inside. On either side of this door, there are two, uh, what you know to be for sure to be humans. Nothing about them says vampire to you. You cannot. I imagine vampires can tell their own kind apart from that of the prey. Uh, Things would get really awkward if you couldn't, right? Uh, So you can you can sense the difference. But these two, there's something seems a little bit off about them. Uh, You can see that their their veins bulge a little bit more, almost as if they've been doing some heavy activity, but they, they haven't been. They've just been standing here. And something about their smell is not quite perfectly human. You have heard tales before, and you've probably encountered vampires in the past who have been known to make blood slaves of people, feeding them vampire blood in doses such that they do not they themselves become vampires, but become these vassal slaves to the master. And these two are prime examples of just that. And they stand vigilant looking at guests. uh, And when you come up, they immediately bristle a bit upon seeing the three of you, but Jonathan waves a hand and says, I've just brought a few new guests this evening. They're very interested in the auction occurring later tonight. And the two of them shrink back and gesture to the door. Jonathan grabs the handle, opens it up, and invites you inside. (laughs) 